You are listening to History Man, a project of ekbarns.com, where we walk in the footsteps of heroes and proclaim freedom reigns. On today's episode, we are excited to interview Durant Ashmore of the Lawrence County Museum. He is a a well-known historian in South Carolina, and we look forward to hearing what Durant has to tell us. So welcome, Durant. Well, thank you, Eric. I appreciate that. Durant, tell me a little bit about how you got involved in the history of South Carolina, especially the Revolutionary War. Well, uh, through genealogical work, and particularly the work of my sister, who is the true family historian, but uh, she um, uncovered several ancestors that we have that are um, folks who fought in the Revolutionary War. And we did not know really the history of of these folks. Now, I knew that I was descended from John Ballantyne in Lawrence County, who moved here in uh, 1840. But the family line ended there until my sister found more information going further back. And we found out that we were also descended from William Ballantyne, who was John Ballantyne's grandfather. William Ballantyne came uh, to America on the bounty program and uh, settled in the Dutch Fork area in 1760. Tell me a little bit about the bounty program. Well, this was a uh, program that the English set up in order to get settlers into the back country of South Carolina. Now, anyone over 21 years of age would get 100 acres if they moved to the back country of South Carolina from England, Scotland, Ireland. Now the Ballantyne family was um, tenant farmers in Ayr, A-Y-R, Scotland. And when William Ballantyne was two years old, the family moved across the Irish Sea to Northern Ireland, and they were tenant farmers there for 20 years. And it was kind of a miserable uh, experience. So the fact that they weren't Catholic enabled them to come to America and receive land grants. Okay. And William Ballantyne, at the age of 21 years old, 22 years old, was given a land grant of 100 acres in Newberry County. Very good. From a dirt poor farmer, suddenly he was a wealthy man. Well, the King of England was responsible for that. And when the Revolutionary War came about, and the backcountry settlers were deciding who they were going to go with, the Loyalists or the Patriots. My fifth-grade grandfather went with the man who made him a wealthy man, and that was the King of England. And William Ballantyne joined the Dutch Fort Loyalist Militia. Okay. And he fought in three battles. He lost every one of them. He was promoted after every one of them. Which battles did he fight in? He was at Musgrove Mill here in Lawrence County. Right. With uh, uh, five to 600 loyalists were attacked by 200 patriots, James Williams, Colonel James Williams here from Lawrence County, Isaac Shelby with his Overmountain men from from Tennessee, and Elijah Clark with uh, uh, his men from Georgia. Each colonel had about 60 men, about 200 total. So Musgrove Mill was a tremendous Patriot victory and gave them, gave the Patriots hope at the very darkest time of uh, Patriot forces. This is right after uh, the Battle of Camden and right after the Battle of Fishing Creek. Two 
horrible losses, the nadir of Patriot um, experience in the Revolutionary War. Musgrove Mill gave them hope. So what were the other two battles he fought in? Well, the Battle of Kings Mountain. Oh, really? Yes. When Patrick Ferguson came through and was rounding up, you know, he was inspector of militia. He was um, training the Loyalist militia. Uh, William Ballantyne fought with him, fought at Kings Mountain, uh, about 900 Patriots versus 900 Loyalists. And we know how that came out. The um, Patriots totally surrounded the Loyalists on top of Kings Mountain. And William Ballantyne was captured during that time. Isaac Shelby was in that one too, wasn't he? Yes, he was. <laughs> and James Williams. Right. These, right. these they, had, they had experience fighting against each other. Right. So at that time, Colonel Ballantyne, or um, William Ballantyne, he wasn't a colonel at the time, but William Ballantyne was an officer. And after the defeat at Kings Mountain, there were 34 officers sentenced to be hung. Now, nine of those officers were hung. Was William Ballantyne one of those officers sentenced to be hung? I do not know. But I do know that he was marched towards Virginia with the other captured uh, uh, loyalists. And on the way to Virginia, he escaped. And we know this because he hooked up with another private, and after a two-week journey, they entered the British lines in Camden. Is that right? Yes, and okay. so he got promoted again. After that, he was at 96, and he was at 96 when Nathaniel Green was besieging 96 for 28 days. So here are the same people who had captured him at Kings Mountain that were mistreated. He was being besieged by a rebel horde, little to no water, not knowing what his fate would be mm -hmm. if he was captured by those uh, Patriot soldiers that were surrounding him. Now, he was relieved when the Lord Rawdon's uh, relief column came up from Charleston. The siege was broken. For 30 days, the uh, Loyalists stayed there in 96, and they brought the Loyalists in. Any Loyalist family who, who wanted to escape, you know, what was happening in the back country because the Patriots were very dominant, they marched down to... Um, Charleston in, in July of uh, 1781. And this was um, the worst part of the whole ordeal, was the march down to... From 96 to from Charleston. From 96 to Charleston. There were 50 people who died on that journey. It was in July. That was in July. That's the right. hottest. The I hottest mean, the part of the hottest day. Part they of were it. dying from heat right. stroke. Right. There were more people that died on the march to Charleston than there were during the you know siege itself. Mm -hmm. So he went to Charleston, he was a refugee there for about 18 months, and again, he was promoted every step along the way. But that's not the only relative you had in the Revolutionary War, is it? No, it's not. And I'm happy to say that I'm descended from one of Marion's men. My namesake is Henry Durant, a fellow who, who fought with Marion. He was a Huguenot. And all my life, I'd been hearing about Major Henry Durant. So I was thinking, that's, you know, really great. I'm, I'm descended from a Revolutionary War major. So I started looking for stories and sources about Major Henry Durant, one of Marion's men, 
and I was finding nothing. There's, there's even a roadside plaque to Henry Durant. Uh, it's gone now, it disappeared, but uh, somewhere around Bishopville, South Carolina. Henry Durant, you know, fought under Marion, and I could find no record whatsoever mm -hmm. of, uh, of Henry Durant. And so, uh, you know, I was looking at the officers listed under Marion, under the majors, under the captains, under the lieutenants, could not find him anywhere at all. And so finally I was looking at a list of the privates of Francis Marion. And there it was, there I found him, Henry Durant. And there were three words beside his name. And the first word was scout. And I thought to myself, how great this is. I'm descended from a scout of Francis Marion. Right. And then I saw the second word there, and it said spy. And I thought, this is really great. I'm descended from a spy for Francis Marion. And then I saw the third word, and it was private. And so I'm descended from Private Henry Durant. And I'm honored to say I'm descended from one of uh, uh, Marion's men. And since I finally realized who I was looking for, I was able to find a story written by Dr. I believe it's Dr. William Richardson in the 1840s. And uh, Dr. Richardson was talking about the earliest recollection that he ever had in his life. And this is, was at a time when he was six years old and he was sitting on his father's porch um, around King Street. And as he was sitting there, he saw a rider coming up the road at full speed, helter-skelter. So this immediately got everybody's attention. And as they looked and saw this rider rounding the curve and going uh, on the straightaway in front of the house, they could see 20 dragoons following at full speed. And these dragoons were the British Legion under Bannister Tarleton. And as the rider got in front of the house, he jumped off his horse and with the speed of a hunted stag, he ran through a cornfield covered in pea vines. Well, the British Legion immediately followed, and they couldn't, they couldn't ride their horses through the cornfield because the pea vines were so thick. And after about 20 or 30 minutes, Bannister Tarleton himself comes on the scene. And he comes up to the front yard of the plantation house, goes up on the front porch, of uh, Dr. Richardson's father and pulls his sword out and start wave, starts waving it over the old man's head and says, where is that rider? Where is that spy? You tell me now if you're harboring him, I will hear you down. Well, folks on the porch were like, we don't know where he went. He went through that uh, cornfield over there. Y'all you, you, didn't catch him? So Tarleton and his men spent several more hours searching the property but they never found Private Henry Durant. And if they had, I would not be here today telling you this story. What a great story, though. I mean, that is a fantastic story to have in your family. Well, I'm descended from loyalists and patriots. So let me ask you a little bit about Lawrence, South Carolina. Yes. For, our, for our listeners, how about give us a geographical location of where Lawrence was and where Lawrence was in conjunction to the region's of the revolution in right, South Carolina. Right, Well, Lawrence County during the revolution 
was on the absolute edge of civilization. Uh, Lawrence County is, you know, in the Piedmont of South Carolina, bordered by Spartanburg, Greenville, Newberry, and, and Abbeville counties. During the time of the Revolution, this was the frontier of America. Lawrence County did not come into existence until after the Revolutionary War by, by name. During the Revolutionary War, it was referred to as the Little River District. The Little River runs right through the center of present-day Lawrence County. So what it, was the government hub at that, at that time? Would, well, that, would that have been 96 or? <laughs> the government hub was Charleston starting in 1755 when the Treaty of Saluti, Saluda opened up this territory to um, European settlement. Okay. And the area at that time that was opened up during the Treaty of Saluda was called later the 96th District. And this is part of eight counties in the Piedmont area. Greenwood, Edfield, Newberry, Lawrence, Union, Cherokee, and Spartanburg counties. And I think I've, I've named all eight. I hope I hadn't left anybody out. This was, this became the 96th district in 1769. But you ask about the governmental hub. The hub from 1755 to 1769 was Charleston, which meant that if you had an issue, a legal issue, if your neighbor stole your horse, you had to go to Charleston to file a complaint and then come back. That was a two-week journey. So the, the settlers in the back country were not very pleased with that. And a movement arose in order to establish more law and order in the back country. And remember, this was the frontier. And there were wonderful people who moved in here. But there were also the worst sorts of mankind who moved in here of villains and uh, brigands and highway robbers and everything else. So as a result of that, in the 1760s, the regulator movement arose. You know, the regulator movement is a, is a untold story in many respects. It's kind of lost and overshadowed by the Revolutionary War. I know there was a regular movement in North Carolina as well, and they were kind of like diametrically opposed to each other is what caused those, yes. those particular movements. Yes. In South Carolina, the lack of government caused the, the criminals to, to rise up and just kind of hold sway over whole, whole communities, especially in the back country of 96, yes. right? Especially. And there was the Cherokee threat as well. Right. So, you know, this was a very unsafe area. And the regulators, you know, arose in, uh, uh, as a result of that. And if they saw, thought somebody was a horse thief, they would tie him to a tree and they would whip him. And, you know, this was their mode of punishment, was, was whippings and beatings and that sort of thing. I'm sure hangings, but there's no record of that that I've seen. But the regulator movement became a vigilante movement, and it became so out of hand that another movement arose in opposition to them, and this was the moderators. So there was real um, uh, antagonism between the moderators and the regulators. It was like the pendulum swung back and yeah, forth on that. Much true. like, yes. much like maybe law enforcement today in, mm -hmm. in, uh, mm -hmm. in society today, that pendulum still swings 
back and right. forth over the course of the years, but to the extreme here in the regulator movement uh, during it, that right, time. Right, right. But at the, the regulator movement was successful in the fact that it got the attention of the British colonial government, and they did establish the 96th ju Judicial uh, Circuit. And 96 was the most prospered area, prosperous area in the back country at that time. Okay. It was a hamlet. It was a station by way on the Cherokee Path between Kiowee, which was the lower town capital of the, of the Cherokees, and, and Charleston. The Cherokee Path was a way that you could walk from the back country all the way down to Charleston and never cross a major river. And it parallels what roads now? Uh, 26. Interstate yeah, 26. Yeah, yes, right. It's the um, no northern uh, boundary of the Savannah River watershed, and it's the southern boundary of the Santee River watershed. Oh. So 96 was the closest British European settlement to Kiowee. Now, the rumor is, how did 96 get his name? Uh, the story is, well, it was 96 miles from uh, Kiowee to, to 296. And there's a six mile South Carolina oh, as there's, well. There's, there's a bunch of them, but it's only 73 miles. I okay. measured that. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Uh, but leaving from Kiowee, you, I mean, there's three and 20 Creek, 12 mile Creek, six mile, one mile, um, supposedly, you know, a Cherokee princess named these creeks and byways as she was leaving from Kiwi to warn her British lover of um, a raid that was going to happen. This is the same day. Cherokee princess that from Issaquina Falls? Well, there's a lot of Cherokee princesses <laughs> out there, so it's, it's, it's hard to say. Anyway, so 96 became the governmental hub okay. of this area. And the colonial government built a courthouse there, and they built a jail there. And the jail was three stories tall, and it was made of brick. And it was like nothing that had ever been in the back country before. Mm. And the settlers, they would come from, it was a tourist attraction. They would come from miles around, just stand there and stare at that three-story tall building in awe. With that, Lawrence in the 96th district, the Little River district, was very divided in its loyalties. Right. And the main concern about the inhabitants of the 96th district, the British government was not their biggest worry. Their biggest worry was the Cherokees. Mm -hmm. And the relationship with the Cherokees was all important. And this happened during a time, a hundred year period, when the Cherokees and the settlers were in constant battles with each other. It was just a entire period of reprisals and retributions. Who, who was right? Who was wrong? Who started it? Nobody knew. We did, the, the beginning was not understood. The end, there was no hope for the end. It was a very tragic situation all this, the way through. Before we finish up with this episode, tell me a little bit about the museum you have. Well, uh, the, the Lawrence County Museum is a happening place. I'm here to tell you that right now. In Lawrence County, this is one of the most active areas in America as far as the Revolutionary War is concerned. Within 50 miles of where we are right now, there were 112 Revolutionary War events. 
No place in America can say that. Okay, we're talking small battles, but also pivotal battles. You mentioned one Musgrove Mills, Kings Mountain, Cowpens. Exactly, 96. 96. Blackstocks. Blackstocks was huge, <clears throat> right? Yes, yes. And, uh, so when you, and then you talk about all the little smaller things, even after the Battle of Yorktown, right? So, and, I mean, well, then you have Bloody Bill yeah. Cunningham and his, and his massacres. But the uh, Lawrence County Museum is noted now for the exhibits and collections that, that are here. Some superb Native American collections okay. that have really kind of put Lawrence on the map. And then with the Revolutionary War interest as well. The museum is the proud owners of a three-story building on the um, square in downtown uh, Lawrence. Uh, 21,000 square feet and contributions and donations and endowments are coming in because people are realizing just how valuable and important the activities were here, you know, in the county. Well, it's a, it's a fantastic area and uh, I, I got to have a little tour of your, your complex here, the 21,000 square feet, you said? Yes. And, and y'all were, y'all were doing uh, renovations as we speak. And I know you're kind of gearing up for this 250th anniversary oh, of yes. this of the Revolutionary War, and you're going to have all that ready and uh, for people when they come in. It's a it's a wonderful community, and uh, I'm just tickled pink that we're here. So well, look forward to our next episode. Love for you to stay with us. Okay. Thank you. <laughs>